Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman. This week, I'm excited. We have Luke Saunders, the founder and CEO of Farmer's Fridge. And Luke and I actually met, I want to say four or five years ago, when I, at my past job, my past life, when I was at Fast Company, um, the business magazine. And Farmer's Fridge was a much smaller company then, and it's uh, it's grown a lot now. And so I'm excited to talk about the the evolution over the last few years, as well as the overall just food vending machine space, which is such a, a fun space to talk about. But Luke, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So for those that don't know, why don't you just give the rundown? What's the what's the history of Farmer's Fridge? The easiest way to think about Farmer's Fridge is uh, really just making fresh, healthy food as accessible as a candy bar. Um, and the way that I got started, my background was as a traveling salesman for a metal finishing company. So I was driving like a thousand miles a week, nothing to eat except for fast food and gas stations, and just wanted to think about how do we solve this problem and how do we get fresh, healthy food to more places. Um, so we created a model where we make fresh food ourselves in a central kitchen, and then we deliver it on our own refrigerated trucks to a network of automated smart fridges um, in our markets. And then that has actually evolved pretty substantially since the pandemic started. Um, but the core idea is just make fresh, healthy food more accessible. Uh, I'm excited to go into all, all the stuff that happened over the pandemic because I was doing some research and you guys, it sounds like you had a, a wild year as I'm, you know, nearly every business I talked to has had a wild year, but still. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so before the pandemic, what was the overall growth plan? Because it was very regional, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. So because again, we we make the food and distribute it ourselves, um, it's really a route-based business. So you want to build concentric circles and make it more and more dense. Um, and our focus was really the Midwest market initially. Um, and then we had launched the Northeast market in the fall of 2019. Um, so we were very focused on expanding our fridge footprint. Uh, 99% of our revenue came from fridges. Uh, and the idea was to place fridges and fill them up with fresh food. And eventually, if we were going to sell food to customers in other ways, we would add that on top. Um, but the idea was always just essentially vending machines are um, roughly a couple orders of magnitude more convenient than restaurants. And so if you could make uh, you know healthy food available in vending machines, it's a different unit economic model. We could put it in a lot more places. So plenty of room to grow in the the fridge business. How do you go about sort of inventory management and planning for different uh, areas? Because I imagine that there is different demand. You you know, one fridge probably needs more types of certain objects than another based on, you know, who is working there and what, you know, what they do. How do you sort of figure out all of, all of those nuts and bolts on a region by region basis? Yeah. So, I mean, it really the core innovation of Farmer's Fridge uh, is that inventory management system. And so the way that we are able to plan what we're going to make and then actually make it and then distribute it to the fridges um, is basically like connecting the production distribution and the fridges themselves through technology and then having essentially it's a cost function algorithm that runs every day that looks at the real time inventory of the fridges, the expected demand from customers in that location the next day. And then around six o'clock every night, we actually allocate all the food that we've made across those fridges. We pick pack it that night and we put it on refrigerated trucks to go get delivered that night. So it's that daily inventory rebalancing that happens across the network that makes the model work. And so that was probably the piece when I started, I really was thinking, you know, vending machine can be more convenient than a restaurant. You can sell food 24 hours a day. It's much lower cost to operate. So you can put it in more places. Um, 
but the inventory management piece, it felt like, you know, it's in a machine, you should be able to capture the inventory. Uh, but when I actually went to start the company, um, vending machines don't really have great inventory management because the food that's in them is meant to last a really long time. And up until very recently, actually, the way you you serviced a vending machine was just to show up with everything you think you might need and like fill it to the max every day. And so there was this idea that pre-kitting the food and kind of matching it a little better could be more efficient, but it was still designed for food that lasted like six to 12 months. So we had to build all of that from scratch uh, when I started. And so what started at the beginning on spreadsheets evolved to now it's a cost function algorithm that runs every day on its own. And then we pack it up and get it out. Was the initial need for talent then this sort of data analysis, figuring out how to do that? Or was it also just someone who knows operations well and can can be able to put that all together? Yeah, I mean, initially it was more on the operational side, actually. Um, so the way that, the easiest way to think about it is uh, building all the engineering infrastructure to manage that in an automated way and having the team to do the analysis and automate the process um, is very expensive. It's actually a lot more expensive than our waste was at the beginning. And so at the beginning, we just we dealt with the fact that we had really high unsold inventory and we made sure to donate all of that food to local food pantries. Um, and then we reached a size where we were big enough to make the investments in the inventory management system. And that actually became, um, you know, where we are today, where we're managing like low single digit unsolds across, you know, 400 plus locations in six states. Um, but at the beginning, it literally was just us in Google Sheets and we dealt, we had, you know, 30 or 40% unsolds at the very beginning. Wow. How much of this is also a tech problem. Did you completely reformat the, uh, the your vending machines so that they would mix and match better? Or have you had sort of iterative vending machines that would, would solve the problem of either food waste or demand in different ways rather than just having a prepackaged salad that you know people can, can buy? Yeah, I mean, it, a huge part of it was technology because the vending machines are basically, if you think about your standard vending machine, you have a keypad yeah. that tells the machine which location on an XY grid you want to spit out food. And the only tech there is telling um, the vending machine, like, what's the price? So like, I've accepted the money and I'll vend this XY slot. But it doesn't really have any sense of what's in the machine and any of that dynamic ability to like manage inventory. So we had to build all of that. Um, And actually, none of that happens on the vending machine. It's all happening in a cloud-based infrastructure. So the vending machine is connected to the internet and we're constantly communicating with it, but we actually store all that information centrally in the cloud, which allows us to run things like the cost function algorithm or, you know, tie into that and you can see inventory on your phone as a customer and even purchase through the app so that when you buy something in the app, it sends a message to the cloud, the cloud debits the inventory, and then the fridge gets told, don't, don't vend that. Um, But all of that was built and it's really, it would not have worked without that layer. So all the technology is is cloud-based and communicating with the fridge via IoT. Got it. Wow. It's a lot. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I want to get into the pandemic soon, but I, I feel like also it'd be good to know just sort of 
before then, what was the growth plan? So you said it was the, you know, sort of concentric circles, building out regions. How did you choose which regions you would expand to? Was it mostly suburban areas? Was it mostly urban areas? You mentioned you were a traveling salesman, and that's not necessarily like someone who's in a city often. But so <laughs> how how have, how did you sort of think about where you were going to launch from place to place? And where were you planning on launching, let's say, a year ago, f- February? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it started when I first opened... I had enough money to buy two machines. So I put one machine in downtown Chicago and I put one in a tollway oasis about an hour north of Chicago um, just to kind of see where was the demand and and how the business was going to grow organically um, better in one place or another. And actually downtown worked better initially. Um, And the main reason that we, we learned was the frequency of the customer was way higher. So someone might be going through the tollway once a month, but they're going to be in that office building every day. And so we we started in those um, you know most frequent highest density locations and slowly built out. So it was downtown Chicago, then it was Chicago land, then it was Indianapolis, Milwaukee, and so you could just keep building. The other thing that happens is we get better at uh, the inventory management, but also the product assortment. So across those four hundred fridges, there's basically ninety nine percent of them are stocked completely differently every day, and so. As we got better at that and got more automated, it allows us to sell more food in any given location, which then allows us to put more fridges out there, which gets more dense. So we couldn't really supply the suburbs early on because we didn't have the right product mix and the right inventory management system. So everything kind of grows sequentially. And so once we get reached a critical mass in Chicago, we picked the Northeast because it's actually the most dense and the closest market. It's very simple. Um, where could we get the most leverage on the existing production and distribution? And so, what happened in March? Uh, I, I was reading, I was reading a few different interviews, and it sounds like, uh, I mean, for every company, but like specifically, I imagine for commuter-focused businesses, sales dried up. What, what, like, how did you respond? What happened? Walk me through it all. Yeah, I mean, so starting in the beginning of the month, um, we we knew obviously, like everybody else, something was happening that was going to be very disruptive, and. For our business, the question was, you know, what is, are people going to stop going to the office? Um, Because if so, we're going to lose a lot of our revenue. (laughs) And um, and we we realized we were probably going to stop coming to the office, so that was very likely to happen. Um, And so, like before, because before the shelter in place, we were saying, you know, let's go. We're going to do social distancing in our own space. Um, And so we asked ourselves, you know, what what does that mean for our customers? Where are they going to be? What do they need? And that's really two different groups of stakeholders. One is our B2B customers. So think of a hospital um, or a university. The other is uh, the actual end customer that purchases our food. So if we realize for ourselves, we're all going to be going home, we're actually going to be blowing up our routine, and there's going to be an opportunity to help those people figure out how to eat at home. And we had delivery trucks, we had a brand, we we had the infrastructure to do it. So we essentially over the weekend set up a Shopify website and started taking orders for home delivery. Uh, and we did that just in Chicago to start uh, because we wanted to understand what it actually worked and how well. Um, but yeah, it took off because uh, people were stuck at home with no options and trying to figure out something new. And we were hearing from a lot of people that you know, yeah, working from home is great, but now I actually have less time because I'm like in meeting to meeting to meeting and I can't even go into the kitchen because if my kids see me, it's totally disruptive. So um, it turned out that that ended up being a really fast growing channel for us. And we're now launching that into 17 states 
Um, so we're doing a full like D2C expansion. Um, and then on the, the, the other side of our customer base, the institutions, they were actually closing down their cafeterias. And so we were saying, we just, the sales team was calling them up and saying, is there anything we can do to help? We understand that um, it's probably a high stress time for you guys. And we found out that they were trying to figure out how to do food service without a cafeteria, which fits perfectly with what we do. So we started buying mini fridges and actually installing them throughout hospitals and filling those up for several months during the height of the pandemic. Wow. Okay. So walk me through the DTC part. Um, what was customer acquisition like? Did you already, like, how did you find people who knew who you were that were going to go to your Shopify website? Did you have, did you have any data from, from the, uh, the vending machines that sort of helped you out with this? Cause I'm like, that kind of pivot strikes me as, you know, makes sense, but also f- the customer finding part seems, seems a little <laughs> bit interesting. Yeah. I mean, so really the, the idea at the beginning for the fridge was, we will have to have a direct relationship with the customer in order to really have the best products and manage the inventory the right way. So we had that direct relationship in the form of email, phone numbers, um, and a brand that people recognized. So initially and still to, to today, our best performing tactic has actually been email um, and existing customers that we're reaching out to and saying, you should try this. Um, and that was just, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of people on our email list reaching out to them and saying, hey, we offer delivery to your area now, or please tell your friends about it. Um, but we also started doing traditional Facebook advertising. So just performance marketing, saying, here's how much we're willing to spend to acquire a customer. Can you drive them to actually make a purchase? And so that's something we had not done prior. Uh, before this, we didn't have any like really marketing budget. We had a very small marketing team focused on brand. Um, that's probably one of the biggest transformations for the business is now we do a considerable amount of performance marketing for that delivery channel. All right, we're going to take a quick break right now. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I imagine the margins for the delivery channel are less good when you're dealing with UPS or USPS or however than it was for for a, the vending machine. Am I incorrect about that? Or sort of how does that all work out when you're sort of sending someone a, di- a direct meal? Yeah. So what was very interesting for us is we weren't using UPS and FedEx. So we were actually using our own delivery drivers um, and we were allowing people to tip um, in the app so that they could actually drive some of the cost was was done that way. Um, so it was a much higher margin um, initially. So the advertising was actually getting paid back by that higher margin business, but the the net income was pretty similar between the two businesses. So what we were picking up in, because you think about it, we don't have any um, wasted product. We're selling 100%. We don't have any like rev share or anything like that that we're paying to the partners. Um, and overall, we're it's a guaranteed sale at full price. So it's actually pretty good. Um, the The UPS cost structure is very different. So when we launched uh, the, the third party delivery is what we call it internally, but we're leveraging UPS and FedEx. And essentially, the margin is half, but your reach is way bigger. So the cost of the performance marketing has come down considerably because you have a bigger audience. Mm-hmm. But the cost of shipping is a much bigger percentage of the actual transaction. When you're doing your own delivery fleet, and you're doing it on this one-to-one, how, how did you figure out 
roots. And I, I feel like that's a whole new can of worms when it was just like, you'd have a guy drive a truck and he'd go to a couple different, um, vending machines. It's like, that seems like its own problem that probably did. I'm sure cost went up a little bit because you have them sort of doing more circuitous routes. Am I like, so walk me through how you, how you figured all that out. Yeah. So this is probably one of the areas I'm most impressed with the team. Um, and we, if you back up, like we had built capabilities around this for fridge deployment. So we had to look at every fridge deployment and say, how profitable would this location be? Does it fit onto a route? Like, how do you optimize? And the ability to like analyze a location for a fridge based on like the customers that were in that area. And so we applied the same logic to the the home deliveries. We actually had um, essentially an analysis of like every zip code that we thought had the highest propensity to buy our products, then we would target the advertising to those zip codes and build density around those zip codes and open up like one zip code at a time or a set of zip codes based on that analysis. Um, so it's really the same discipline that we used for the fridge, but applied to that owned delivery channel. Um, what worked out really well is the deliveries are like two or three times more efficient. So when you go to a fridge, a lot of times there's security, you have to go through a badge, you have to you know park, walk your way into a building. With home delivery, we were just dropping it on someone's front porch. Um, and especially during most of this period, people are home and there's less traffic. So we found that it was actually um, pretty manageable from that standpoint. And because our commitment was to not lay off the drivers, we had all this extra capacity. So for the first couple months, it was um, actually like a learning curve that we were absorbing through people that we had committed to keep on our payroll anyway. How has the sales mix changed? So you mentioned pre-pandemic, 99% was vending machines. I'm assuming that's now not at all the case. And like, uh, did were you able to? When were you able, to, or were you able to make up sales you were doing pre-pandemic? Sort of, how, how did that all go? Yeah. So um, we were we we're very fortunate. And within about eight weeks, we we're back to 95% of our revenue. Um, we got for last year, we eked out just a little bit higher revenue than the year before. Um, and so considering we lost 85% of the revenue in our core channel, that was very exciting for the team and just shows like how, how uh, successful all that hard work was. Um, where we are today is next month will probably be the first month since this started that we have higher revenue on a month-over-month basis. Um, so like we'll, our February of 2020 was our best month ever, and May 2021 will set the new record. Um, so we, we were able to get it back, but not grow too much mm-hmm. is the headline. And then in terms of mix, Fridge is actually still our biggest channel because it's it, from when it went down to now, it's recovered pretty steadily. Um, and delivery is on track probably to get as big or bigger than Fridge this year, just based on the size of the marketplace that we're competing in. Um, but wholesale transitioned from more of that crisis mode. We're going to service a hospital to launching in in retail stores, which has actually gone very well. Um, So that's ramping up. It's about three times the volume that we expected it to be at this point in the year. Um, And so really it's, it's now an omni-channel business. The idea is we're we're going to bring the food to wherever the customers are. So, what is your retail expansion? Where, where who are you partnering with? That's a better sentence. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we so for retail, um, we started with um, we had had fridges in various retailers pre-pandemic. The big change was we were willing to sell food and actually let them inventory it and sell it through their shelves. 
And so we've expanded with the the retailers that we already had fridges. We're continuing to look at how does that come back. And a lot of them are in places where impulse purchasing is very important. So think like convenience and drugstores. The the ones that we've launched this year, uh, Target was a big one that we opened uh, back in March. And then we're about to launch a regional banner of Albertsons. Um, and so moving towards more of that grocery and, and um, you know, big box retailer model of selling our food. And so, and they're not, for those, those, they don't have the vending machine or they do? They do not have the vending machine. Interesting. And so yeah. that's, uh, and how are you, I feel like maybe I'm wrong, but like with Farmer's Fridge, I feel like part of the marketing is the vending machine, at least at first. And so how are you going about doing this wholesale part where you're, you're going to be another salad in, in, in the store? Yeah. I, I think it, um, it's a number of things. So one is the products, the, the fridge is still the center of the business. The fridge gives us that brand awareness. It gives us the ability to optimize products at a customer and item level. So I can see you know, who's repeating that item versus maybe a group of people that we lost on a particular day because of a quality issue. And we use that to really refine every product at that level. That helps in wholesale because it means you have the best products. So as long as you can get people to try them, they're going to try them again at a higher rate and come back more often. And so what we've seen is that optimization that took place at the fridge set us up to have great products at a retail environment. And we're actually getting a lot of leverage on the products that we produce because now we're producing them for three channels. And so we're able to make them very efficiently at a margin that the retailer is happy with. And so they give us good placement in the store and they see the high repeat rates, and it's a actually like a um, a good dynamic for both of us, where you have a momentum behind them giving you more space and having customers enjoy the product. In terms of the marketing, it's the performance marketing that's happening in social is helping also drive traffic at fridges and wholesale, and so they all kind of reinforce each other. And the last piece is the actual product is designed to look really great. So you have like the jar, um, good good visual cues with the salad itself. And so if you compare that to your average grab-and-go salad, um, it, it's just something that customers are naturally going to try and pull off the shelves. And then we, we'll go in and activate at the store level as well. I wanted to ask about that cross-marketing thing. Um, so you mentioned the social is, is definitely a driver and that makes a lot of sense. Are you at, at all trying or... Is there a way that you can do this to see how the wholesale bleeds over to the vending machine? Because I imagine that, you know, that that's sort of a, you know, it's good to sell wholesale, but it's also good to sort of get people who are going to your machines and, and buying from them, and then you can get more of that direct data. So are you able to, to look at that, or is it just you're, you're hoping that happens? Yeah, no. So a big push, um, we've been very fortunate we continue to invest in this throughout the pandemic is our, our mobile app and sort of the digital touch points with customers. So the goal is to be able to start in the mobile app and just say, where's the closest place to buy farmer's fridge? Is it a fridge? Is it a grocery store? Is it home delivery? Um, and so hopefully what we'll see in, in the wholesale channels, people can actually pick up that product. We can drive them through the packaging to download the app and start to be part of our ecosystem. And then once they're in there, push them to other channels that might be more convenient. So, and the same thing happens with the fridge. So somebody who's traveling through the O'Hare airport 
and try something and they're never going to be there again, but we might offer home delivery for them or be in their local grocery store. So the whole idea is is to create that touch point where they try the food and then create a funnel where you actually get them to be buying it from the place that's most convenient for them. Mm -hmm. And how are you dealing with quality control specifically for these third-party delivery services? Uh, so in terms of quality control, we have like our actual quality control for all the products that we make and send out. Um, but you're talking about just like putting it in a box and making sure it shows up on the other end. Yeah. And also just, I think that when you control the logistics and all ends of it, you know, all ends of how that product is getting to the customer, uh, because you employ all of them. And so when you add, you know, UPS to the mix or you add a courier to the mix, that could maybe be a bad, uh, a bad customer experience, or it could even just like, you know, something might get lost in the mail. I, it just seems like it adds <laughs> new, new, uh, dimensions that, that it seems like your core business model tried to fend against. Yeah. I mean, I think there was certainly, especially when we were smaller and it was harder to like follow up or control things, that level of control was really critical. So I always tell the story, you know, we tried to outsource the delivery to the fridges at one point and I would get a phone call from a client and their fridge was left open and the food wasn't stocked. And so very quickly we learned we wanted to own that end to end to do the best work. Um, but what we got a lot better at over the years, because internally we our, the team grew, um, as we had to, was how do you actually get feedback from customers and create a feedback loop within the company to fix problems? And so it's really not any different. So like if someone receives a shipment from a third-party carrier and that shipment is damaged, that goes into our customer service queue and we're diagnosing those problems and figuring out like what's the issue. So when we did beta testing, we found that like a slight adjustment to packaging could reduce the number of times that a jar breaks from, you know, 0.1 to 0.01. And so it's it's just the same process of optimization and we have a lot more bandwidth to actually get things right. So we did a 3 or 4 months of testing on the boxes before we actually put them into a third-party delivery channel both in terms of temperature and quality when it arrived to the customer. We shipped hundreds of boxes to friends and family all across the country just to see how that product arrived. Um, and we're pretty like meticulous about taking that feedback and operationalizing improvements to make it better. And, and so it's no different, whether it's a UPS driver or a farmer's fridge driver. We want to get pictures from the customer. We want to understand what went wrong, and then we diagnose and fix. Got it. And you mentioned that still, uh, even with these expansions, uh, the vending machine is still the the that is the biggest part of the pie, correct? Yes, that's right. So what's your ideal pie? Do you want it to be 30-30-30 or 33-33-33? Or do you still want vending machines to rule the roost? Uh, you know, I don't have a, a preference, to be honest. I think the the preference is going back to like that mission, what we're trying to accomplish is make fresh, healthy food as accessible as a candy bar. And so when I think about like, that means customers in the moment should be able to have the most convenient farmer's fridge experience. And so if that turns out to be 100% retail and zero fridge, like I'll be fine with that because it means we solved the problem. Now, if you're asking me to like predict what I think will happen, I think it'll probably be a pretty even split across those channels over time um, just because they fill very different needs. So the, the fridge is really that like impulse purchase. I'm on the go. I didn't plan ahead. Uh, versus retail is more like I'm already here and this is easy. And the home delivery is kind of planning ahead uh, more times per week. So it's it's different occasions, different customer mindsets. For myself, for example, I, I order our, our delivery program every other week. 
And then I shop the fridge at our office on the other week. So it just, for me, that's the more convenient approach. And I get to try some of the things that aren't in the fridge when I do delivery and vice versa. Are you, do you have a subscription model for the, for the home delivery? Uh, we don't. We actually very intentionally stayed away from subscription huh. initially. Um, the idea was we want to make this easy and, and convenient and simple. And so you can show up and you can buy it and decide not to buy it again. Um, and yeah, for us, that's worked well so far. But we have a recurring orders feature um, that is launching actually this week. So I've had it in my app, but you can now download it which would allow you to set an order and kind of get it at a set time over and over, but there's no commitment from the customer. It's not a subscription in the way that you would like sign a contract and have a certain number of deliveries. Got it. What is your primary focus for the coming year? It seems like you're building out a lot of new business models that might have been sort of a, you know, a small part that you were growing out, but are now much bigger. So is it the retail expansion? Is it making the DTC part a little bit more robust? How, how, what, are, what are you trying to sort of focus on? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when we, we were only going to do fridges very intentionally because it allowed us to focus on the fridge and get the fridge model right and then add new things on top of that. Because the fridge channel was impacted, it gave us a year to build infrastructure to optimize on these new channels. And so we're, we're really absorbing that. We're, we're not necessarily picking one or the other, but learning how to optimize in an omni-channel business. And so that's where things like the app that can have an impact across all channels start to get prioritized or delivery infrastructure that supports all channels or merchandising of products that can support all channels. So it changed the way that we thought about that, like a project that only supports fridge might not get as much of a um, much priority as something that supports all three channels, but it's really proving that all three channels are complementary to each other and can grow together and can work better as a combined business than as any individual business. So that, that's this year's getting back to growth, but we're doing it across all three channels. Got it. And this is my last question. We're almost running out of time. But uh, now that you're investing in marketing, which you weren't before, is it just only going to be performance? Or are you thinking now that you're doing a much more national national thing, are you going to do some splashy, bigger marketing things? Yeah, I mean, so the that's probably one of the things that's most exciting is in an omni-channel business, you can do a lot more marketing um, and not just performance. We're actually, because we have that experience with fridges and we're in these retail channels, we're going to definitely be doing things that are more traditional, like over the top marketing. Um, and actually like that should, because inherently our marketing should be more efficient, right? If you have multiple places to buy the product, then we can invest more in that. So that's one of the big things for this year is kind of seeing how that plays out in markets like Chicago, where we have a lot of density in multiple channels. But yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll invest in sort of more traditional stuff because the better people you know your products, the better your marketing should perform in that performance world. All right, Luke, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week. Bye.